0: Welcome to But First People, a podcast on the incredible diversity of the world of work, brought to you by Pride Global. I'm your host, Kamala Forbes, and this week, my co-host Jenny Davis had the pleasure of speaking with Michelle D. Sims, CEO of Viera Professional Resources, better known as UPRO, which is a leading opportunity talent placement firm. Michelle's award-winning tenure as UPRO's leader has included numerous mentions on SIA's list of the industry's biggest players. UPRO has also been recognized as one of the fastest-growing staffing firms in the country. UPRO champions traditionally underrepresented talent placement, and this focus on diversity is a common feature of Michelle's role. She mentors diverse young professionals at the School of Business Administration at Houston Community College, and she also serves as a member of the Women and Public Policy Programs Board at Harvard Kennedy School, as well as on the American Staffing Association's Women in Leadership Council. And today, She's here to share a slice of that wisdom with you, our wonderful But First People audience.
1: Michelle Sims, so happy to have you on But First People. Thank you so much for joining us today. It is such a pleasure to have you. And I really look forward to our conversation this morning.
2: Thank you, Jenny. I'm thrilled to be here too.
1: Wonderful. Well, I like to kick off with sort of a standard question um, because I find that our industry and our jobs are often hard to explain, um, even to those who sit next to us in our lives as partners and friends and family. So let's take it a step further. If an alien were to land on this planet, Michelle, and the first question they asked was, who are you and what do you do here? How would you explain your job to them?
2: Well, I guess after composing myself that I'm talking to an alien,
1: <laughs> right,
2: right. Um, I might say the planet that you've landed on is not perfect. And here on earth, humans work for food and our homes, but not every human has equal access to opportunity for work. We may even have the same skills or abilities, but not the same opportunities. Crazy, right? Crazy. So our company, Upro. Exists so we can support underrepresented humans. And we will connect you with a job and career resources and social services so you can thrive, gain more skills, and earn more money. Mm. Because all in all, we just want equality and socioeconomic mobility on earth for all.
1: Wow. That was wonderful. Um, And a great analogy tying the two together, right? So underrepresented and walking around and feeling foreign or without support. Um, And the fact that you pro and you offer that is really beautiful. But you clearly, right, in that, in that, you know, 10 second, 15 second answer, it is very clear there's passion and love behind what you do. And I would love to understand how did you find it and how did it find you?
2: So how many folks do you have on in the staffing industry that, that say they fell into it?
1: Most, most.
2: It's not a degree plan, is it? No. Maybe we should make it one.
1: Let's talk about it. Yeah. (laughs) Right. But I would say the
2: red thread to get me here, looking Mm. back, makes sense. Soon out of college, I started selling after-school latchkey programs in marginalized school districts for Mm. youth, um, which connected me to my youth. I was a latchkey kid, and so Mm -hmm. many of us were in in the 80s growing up, right? Yep. So – you know, it's it's not necessarily a badge, it was a way of life. But as decades progress, um, it it did become a badge in our society. So sharing my passion and selling latchkey kid programs then took me to want to teach young adults in community college. So I became an adjunct instructor at Houston Community College um, and really affecting um black and brown young adults in how to keep it together, stay in school, figure out their path with very little resources. And Mm. most of them just need so much encouragement. Um, And so, you know, then fast forward, started working in human resources, and a staffing opportunity with Spherion came about at a time that I really needed change. And I was always on the corporate side, didn't even consider the vendor side, yeah. or the partner side, right. um, but thought at this moment, um, I knew it was a leap of faith and took it, um, started with Spherion, and then they got acquired by Ronstad and both great experience um, mm-hmm. and training grounds to build skills and really for women because mm-hmm. um. You know, I wasn't used to that. I worked Mm. in a very male-dominated environment and um, needed to know how to navigate the next step of my career. And it was really great to join staffing at that time Mm. because it is a place where you don't necessarily need a degree. And and I did have one, but I'm but from a skills perspective and what I was passionate about and how I could help find folks find jobs. it just, uh, it, I love it. Like you know, as most people say now, when they fall into it, and you stay in it because you love it, or you leave it because you hate it.
1: <laughs> yes, yeah, so true. And how did you find Upro? And how did Upro find you?
2: Um, I was on the board of Upro mm. prior to the role, and so was um, very connected to the org through a board uh, seat. And when the time came for uh, new leadership. Um, I was in charge of the search for the new CEO, being the board member on in the staffing Fascinating. industry. Fascinating. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And we interviewed great folks, um, but I will say we are owned. We're a public benefit corporation, and we're owned by a nonprofit, and yeah. so that adds um, some complexity I into bet. our governance and how we do things and. Um, and so it was difficult to find the match between somebody understanding nonprofit and private and how to navigate that, um, and being on the board, not you that I had all the answers, but I saw it. Yeah. Um, and after a couple of months, the board and the chairman just said, you want to give it a whirl?
1: It's you, Michelle. Yeah.
2: Wow. And I had job and, um, and I initially said no. Mm. And, uh, but then I kept interviewing folks and was like, "Oh, yeah, I, I still yeah. think I could probably do this better." And I'm the best you know, one but there were the still job. great candidates, right? right? Yeah, so I actually um put myself into the interview process with the board and the mm. external recruiter. and here I am,
1: Wow. Well, that's a good story on people seeing it in you before you see it in yourself a little bit, right? Um, but you mentioned the red thread, your red thread through your career. But the other thing I heard you say in all those answers was, passion first, job second. You did things because you enjoyed them. You did them in the community and then they became your job, which is really interesting. You don't often find that, right? You'd say, you often hear people say, do your job and then do the things you like on the side. Find your passion and your heart elsewhere, right? And I think there's a real shift and it's a beautiful thing to see your career trajectory in the seat you're in, a woman in power, in a really successful organization who did passion first. So kudos to that. That's a really interesting story, Michelle.
2: And, you know, when you're doing it, though, you don't realize it. Mm. When you it take like I turned 50 not too long ago and you look back and realize, oh, I didn't do that and I coach people to do that. But you don't necessarily realize you're doing that because you're loving it, doing it mm. right. And mm. um, I think the leap of faith coming into staffing really um, full vaulted that Ability mindset. to, to yeah. Yeah, and to work my passion, mm. like, you know, folks, Yeah, I'm all about wellness, right? I'm a leader. Yes. I lead wellness. Um, but you know, I, it also may be, people may not like to hear this when you love your work, um, work can be a hobby. Like the things I work on and the projects that we work mm. on, I'm so passionate about. And my husband will say like, work is my hobby. And I still have wellness and I still take time off. But when you love what you do, you don't necessarily see it as work all the time. No,
1: I agree. And I think, you know, people talk a lot, especially to women, they ask the question of work-life balance and how do you do these things? And I think it gets pointed at us more than others at times. Um, But I always say, to your point, it's integration. It's part of who I am. So like the lines are not clean. They are wildly blurred and days are harder than others. But you're right. If you enjoy it, you're okay with that. If you're happy in it, those around you will be supportive of it. So that's beautiful. You work
2: so much. I'm like, but I love it. Like, that's always my answer. But I love what I'm doing. Yeah. Right. Right. You know, it's, it's fun.
1: Wonderful. Well, I know you gave a brief sort of intro and idea around what UPRO stands for and is. But for those who don't know, can you give us a little more insight? Where did the the ideas come from, the founding of it, all of that? And then what's your mission now? What's your core focus as an organization at UPRO?
2: Well, aliens aside, <laughs> <laughs> um, we are a public benefit corporation. So our our articles of incorporation are grounded in a social mission to support underrepresented talent in skills-based job placement and career progression. So we're a bit unique. So I mentioned we are owned by a nonprofit. So Europe is the largest nonprofit workforce development youth training organization in our country. Mm -hmm. And in 2014, Gerald Chartavian, the founder wanted the alumni of the program to ensure that they had lifetime support for, you know, really to ensure again the mission of closing the opportunity divide. Right. So he said, why don't we start a staffing firm to make sure that we're transitioning interns into jobs. Mm. So um UPRO was born. So you're up professional resources. Um so from there, um we convert the interns out of the nonprofit program into Fortune 500 organizations in contract roles and now apprenticeship wage-based roles for the next step Mm. in their career to secure that job that we hope is a recession-proof job, that is a good job that moves into career progression and that socioeconomic mobility. We find through the pandemic Um, We were able to grow and we were able to put 78% of our talent were either underemployed or unemployed, which allowed for so many folks to have another opportunity at a long-term career. So, um, yeah, we spend our time um, coaching and providing high-touch support that we Mm -hmm. know our talent need. Um, We've built wraparound support services social services um, that we know our talent need for job and retention and engagement. And yeah, I mean, we are helping our talent overcome some significant barriers every day.
1: Yes. Can you explain a little bit for for those listening? What are the biggest barriers you see, Michelle? Mm. Well, the big one
2: today, which I'm, you know, you're reading articles. um, Our talent typically don't have four-year degrees, Right. So a barrier that we face regularly that, you know, corporate America is really taking a a close look at now is what jobs, especially in early and middle skill, actually need a four year degree. Mm. So um, we work with employers to take on a skills based mindset and say, all right, let's really look at this. And if our talent have uniquely come from a training provider that has built some skills and potentially certifications yeah. into, right, this experience, do you absolutely have to have a four-year degree to place them in an entry-level job? Mm. And studies have shown, Harvard Business Review has, has written, there is no proof that in an entry-level job, that four-year degree candidates and non-degree candidates with some basic skills perform any better on the job after one year. Wow. So that one-year period now we've built the wage-based apprenticeship program. Mm. So okay, so let's take entry-level and middle-skill talent. Let's put yeah. them through a job on the job training. They're earning a living wage, they're building their skills, they're becoming loyal to your company.
1: Mm. Right. And,
2: and all of the wraparound service and support helps the engagement and the retention and, um, and poof, solve your hiring woes.
1: Right. Because so much of it is at that entry level theory, right. Of we can't find enough grads that want to work here for what we want to pay as well. They're also not wrong they're, they're, they're not, not wrong.
2: No. Um, but they're also not looking in untapped talent locations, Correct. right? There's very traditional recruiting processes yes. Um, that need to be, you know, that's another barrier, right? right? Is what is happening in the talent acquisition department? That is the barrier that you're creating yourself. Right. And so helping with, with connecting talent. So, you know, the last couple of years, we've also been building our strategy beyond um, the the Year Up uh, organization and supporting other organizations as well with expanding their alumni services and Mm. supporting their talent and job placement. So, we work with Perscolis, we work with uh, CareerWorks, you know, creating partnerships with the Skill Up Coalition and Opportunity at Work. You know, these are amazing nonprofit organizations that are also committed to ensuring that non-degreed, underrepresented black and Brown, indigenous talent are getting access Access. to the same opportunities in entry level and middle-skill roles um, because, you know, companies aren't wrong. And, you know, you, we, if we untapped all of this access to talent, we wouldn't necessarily have a talent shortage. We have a skills shortage. Yes. So, you know, helping bridge that skill shortage and that opportunity gap um, is, is how we spend all of our time.
1: Yes. And I think I've, I've felt in my career in, in contract staffing is where I've spent most of my time is we have such an opportunity because our our speed and our access is high. We give access quickly, but what we don't always have is the voice for change with some of our clients as a true partner to access this skilled-based talent, right? And I, when I first heard you speak at Staffing Industry Analyst, that's what I heard is like the demanding of a voice of, if you want us to partner with you, hear us when we say there are people, but you need to change expectations. And I think Our industry at times has become transactional and procurement focused versus people focused. And that's not a slam. It's just the reality of of working in corporate America and what we do. And what I love about what you say and what you stand for, you Michelle and you Pro is that we represent people and that's the opportunity, right? Is if you look at this as that, as an opportunity, and I think it can't be denied anymore. And I just, I, I'm not putting it solely on the corporations. I'm putting it on us as an industry. I'm putting it on all of us together. We do have the ability to change that dynamic. We absolutely do.
2: And I, for the first time since I've been in the workforce, um seeing public, private, and nonprofit sectors coming together now. And I, and I also think that it's um, been exasperated due to the pandemic, right? Mm, yes. But coming together to solve how we skill our workforce yes is 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 the challenge right yes. but folks are coming together to help figure it out yes um because every organization needs the solution
1: mm-hmm. and
2: i think you know we talk about potentially a soft economy coming up right right um so i think now is the time to double down and figure out how to build your entry-level talent because there's also, you know, proof from 2008, 2009, companies that didn't stop in hiring entry-level talent and continued, they may have cut costs in other areas, but sure. the difference between keeping up with building your workforce in a soft recession, you know, in a recession or soft economy yep, came, come out much better. Mm. And so, our focus this this coming year and now, right? Sharing with organizations, you can't afford not to commit to hiring entry-level talent, but let us help you do that. Let us mm. help you do that in an insulated way. Low risk, high reward. We're the employer. We're building the program with you. um and and I think it's a win. I think when the companies that that really embrace this will come out swinging. In 24 and 25, and I plan on Upro being one of them. Um that. But, but but really, I think um, it'll be a telling year. And we we've proven coming out of the pandemic that we need to do things differently, and we can still mm-hmm. grow.
1: And for reasons around you know all of the things with social injustice, and the motivations are different, and the intention is different, and we all need to take advantage and do that now, right? So I agree with you on all those levels that the economy is time, our world is showing us its time. So all of those signs are pointing to make changes and do it different and there are people who are willing and people who are not because it takes extra work but it will and that's what you're saying is it will pay off right
2: and and some of the, the conversations are uncomfortable right mm-hmm. like we talk to hiring managers or to leaders in DEI and and they say well you know of course we're on board of course our organization makes this statement but how you get that to the hiring manager and the folks that are training and supporting mm-hmm. the entry level talent it does take um, a monumental messaging, support, and training to build this into the fabric of your organization, and so it does take time. and And we see some employers are making, you know, faster strides than others. Sure. Um, but we say start with two. We don't. We don't say start with one mm. because entry level talent and underrepresented they need a pair they need a cohort they need a group community, community. Mm. and so we never say start with one two or more everybody needs a buddy um because you go through a program together we upskill and put them in professional development together wow and we have found that that is also a secret sauce to retention and outcomes Mm. Um, because we measure ourselves our social metrics our average hourly wage for living wages and retention and outcomes to positive like finishing the assignment and then getting converted to full time
1: it's a great idea i think that's relevant beyond what you're just talking about into so many organizations who are trying to try things differently is doing it with a sense of community and partnership with another person or more people it's great for,
2: for sure it's
1: great well, one outcome you didn't discuss, but I'm curious, because I think what will naturally happen is you are placing individuals into career roles in which they're going to grow and elevate. They then become leaders. They then hire. And they then remember where they came from. So what I would love to see is where your alumni are in 10, 15 years even. How, what a beautiful story that will be for what you've done and what your organization has built, because they then have the power to decide. Right, and what a great, beautiful image that is, Uh, because that's what I see it as important. Is it's entry level now; it's not entry level forever.
2: Ah, You just gave me chills.
1: Oh, I just think it's really, really great. Um, So Michelle and I met um, at a conference in which Michelle was a panelist, and I was in the audience. And the panel was focused on diversity in staffing industry and why it's a core principle and should be right as we grow and scale. And obviously understanding UPRO's mission, I, and I know you believe because of our conjoining in that, in that moment, our industry has a lot of work to do in that regard. What are things the staffing industry can do to do more and do better? And why is this focus on diversity critical? Why is it critical?
2: Well, I think first and foremost, we're the we're the industry that gets folks jobs. So if we're not the role model for corporations on how to treat people to get them jobs, then we're missing, we're missing mm. something, right? Yes. Um if the industry is not standing for equality and equity for all, and we're the ones placing folks in jobs, how do we expect corporations to follow our lead? Mm. When we're presenting candidates, we have a responsibility to ensure that not not only are we upholding the laws in place, but we have a responsibility to lead the effort in presenting candidates from a skills-based lens, presenting candidates from an equity lens, ensuring that we are placing candidates in living wage jobs for the skills and that to me is the biggest one, right? How many times, I mean, Hey, I'm guilty of it myself. I've worked in staffing for years. You get an order from a client. They need in-demand high volume and the roles pay $12 an hour. And yep. you, you're, you know, your, your stomach is like, Oh my God, where are we going to find folks to work for $12 an hour? Right. You go back to the office You go to your recruiters, okay, we've got this great opportunity. Let's go to market, let's find talent that will work in this role for $12 an hour. And your recruiters look at you and go, okay, but you know the minimum should be 15. You're right, but the client has asked for 12. I'm privileged and in a position of power and lead an organization to be able to say, I'm sorry, client, we would be happy to support you, but that role pays 16 an hour. That is the market wage for the role. We would be happy to support you, but we feel like you need to do some internal work. And if you want to increase that rate, we will work with you. If not, we're the staffing provider that isn't for you. And I've said that Mm. many times. Good for you.
1: But we need everybody to do that. We do, right? Because the answer is, well, someone else is doing it.
2: And, and 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 so the company goes to another staffing firm. So why do we think Correct. that they're like the 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 VMS world and the the managed service providers exist mm-hmm. because companies have 10, 5, 10, 15 organizations. And that also is because certainly they need their jobs filled. Like again, not right. knocking the setup at all. No. But but what if those MSP organizations put minimum rates in place mm. that were living wages and said to companies, we represent equal pay and fair living wages. And for these roles, these are the wages we we, we expect you to pay. And we will get more organizations to work with us and provide you candidates at a living wage. Right. And maybe you know, if we if we took that lens, and again, that's a huge shift. Like, million dollars is a budget. Yeah, you know, like all of yes. the things, right? Right. But it, and I, you know, it's it's a lofty idea, but it's not so far off of what our economy needs and it's what not. we need for an equitable society. That we really do have job opportunities for all from an equity lens. And if we're, mm-hmm. we're coming from a place of equality and equity, diversity and inclusion tend to follow, but without that commitment to just equity. Correct. Like, how do you get folks to follow you from a diversity and inclusion perspective?
1: Right. Yeah. And it's the human story, right? It comes back to that. We said, follow your passion. You've done that. And when you see people trying to survive and you know you're not paying them enough to pay for the gas to get to their job, you know it's not the solution, right? right? You know this job isn't right. It's the best they've got. It's what they can do. But we all know it's not going to better their life. And if we all can go into this thinking that our job is to improve livelihoods and help people reap the benefits of what they do and their labor, that is their right and that is our privilege. So it's the humanizing of this industry too and bringing that heart back. And when I see a woman like you on a stage presenting that and presenting the heart and the humanity of this all, it just motivates me and I know many others in the industry to do better and do more and knowing that you can be successful treating people that way. So I sincerely thank you for that and for your time today. Um, It's been a privilege and um, we look forward to continue watching your success and helping wherever we can.
2: Thank you for being, for certainly having me and Pride One is also one of our I'm really near and dear to our heart partner. So um, you do so much and and Leo does so much to care for the community. You know, we appreciate the partnership.
1: Thank you. Thank you. And thank you, listeners. See you next time.
0: Thank you again, Michelle. And thanks to all of you for joining us for another episode of But First People. To learn more about Pride Global, please check out our website at prideglobal.com. And if you have any questions for Michelle, please email us at butfirstpeople.com at prideglobal.com. Of course, please remember to like, share, rate, and subscribe to our podcast. Thanks again for tuning in, and we look forward to having you back for the next episode.